You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A mysterious house fire turned murder investigation is sparking outrage in what seems like a forgotten part of Metro Vancouver tonight. It happened in the Bridgeview area of Surrey and as Jennifer Palmer reports, residents are calling out the city for ignoring the problems for far too long. A distraught woman is helped by firefighters after a suspicious blaze in Surrey's Bridgeview area. It's a community used to crime. At one house down to the other end of the block down here, there was three shootings in a row. Three shootings within a month. The same people are still in the house. Practically all my friends are like, I'm not coming to hang out with you because you live in Surrey. And Surrey's like classified as like a bad place. Crime here even led to the RCMP sending out their armored vehicle this past June after shots were fired. Officers having to use flashbangs, residents are frustrated and feel ignored. We are the bottom of the barrel when it comes to Surrey. The area is both residential and industrial. Graffiti and scrap metal shops are around. Neighbors say they've lobbied for change, but it doesn't come. And a friend of mine lives down the road here, he's got this shack that lives right across the road from him. It's rat infested, he's phoned the city so many times and they say the house is fine. The city of Surrey says they're working on Bridgeview, an area at the foot of the Patalo Bridge, by adding community amenities, fixing roads, and working with the RCMP. Sometimes it's a little bit like whack-a-mole. You get, uh, you get a, a derelict house that gets occupied by some inservior characters. We go in, we shut it down with bylaws in the RCMP, and another one pops up. As for this latest crime scene on 112A Avenue, when the fire was out, a deceased male was found. His age and the cause of death remains unknown. If there was gunshots, no idea. Talked to Buddy down in the cul-de-sac there. He said he heard some pops. IHIT has taken over the investigation and that this doesn't appear to be random and that the parties are known to each other. One person has been taken into custody. As the investigation continues, residents say they'd like the mayor to come visit and experience their neighborhood. Jennifer Palma, Global News. A shocking disregard for public safety on Highway 1 last night. At around 10.30, shots were fired from one vehicle into another on the busy highway. As Rumina Dea reports, while RCMP believe it to be a targeted incident, the danger to the public is a growing concern. On a typical day, the biggest concern for drivers on Highway 1 is a collision not gunfire. Well, they have absolutely no regard for anybody else on the road or on the streets. They're putting the public, the, the innocent public at risk. The gunman opened fire on this Jeep while driving westbound on Highway 1 Wednesday night around 10.30. The bullets flying between 200th Street and 192. The victim was hit, but his injuries are not serious. Police say it was a targeted takedown. Uh, just another case of... Uh... Uh, a shooting that uh, puts the public at risk, but in this case, fortunately, no one else got hurt. But an innocent woman was grazed by a bullet in Surrey this summer, and there have been multiple close calls across the Lower Mainland as gang violence escalates in public places. It's getting worse and worse and worse. So that's a concern for, like, com common people, like... They could have uh, killed an innocent person, right? Police in many jurisdictions struggling with arrests. The province's former top cop says it's time to get in the faces of the gangsters. Get a lid on the problem right now. Stop the problems from occurring right now. You've got to be assertive in your enforcement action. If that means getting them for whatever little crime you can, or at least acknowledging the fact that police are on you, police are watching you. BC's gang task force on the brink of rolling out another campaign Friday 
Will it resonate? Tough to say. Police sure hope so. Romina Dea, Global News. Nine more alleged victims have come forward in an aggravated sexual assault investigation, and police believe there could be even more victims. Last month, Mission RCMP released this picture of 47-year-old Brian Carlisle, whom they believe may have been engaging in unprotected sex while failing to disclose he has HIV. Offenses have allegedly occurred on the Lower Mainland. However, Carlisle has also lived in Ontario, Manitoba, New Brunswick, and Vermont. He's been charged with three counts of aggravated sexual assault. Anyone who has any information is asked to call the dedicated tip line or Crime Stoppers. The family of a construction worker who was killed while trying to stop a runaway dump truck in Coquitlam is speaking out about the tragedy tonight. Catherine Urquhart joins us with more on how they want Bobby Vanderhoof to be remembered. And as we reported last night, Catherine, he was a newlywed, had a baby on the way. What else did we learn about him today? Yes, Sophie, Bobby Vanderhoof's baby is due in January, and sadly, the 32-year-old won't have the chance to know his child. This afternoon, his grieving family visited the scene of the crash, where there's now a makeshift memorial. Tuesday afternoon, the construction worker's dump truck rolled down an incline and into traffic on the Lougheed Highway. He was hit by the truck while trying to stop it from running away. A woman in her 60s also died, and six others were injured. Today, his family spoke about the crash, as did a co-worker. He loved us all dearly. I want you to know that Bobby was a loving and caring son, and we will miss him dearly, his whole family. And as far as the other person that has passed away from this horrendous accident, our sympathies go, our with, sympathy you. Goes with you and your family. Our crew are absolutely devastated at the loss of an amazing man. We are devastated as a company for all the loss and the lives uh, that have been affected by this tragedy. The crash is being investigated by WorkSafe BC and the coroner service. It remains unclear what exactly happened to cause this tragedy. Sophie? Catherine Urquhart reporting for us tonight. Irreplaceable items stolen in a Kelowna break-in, but at least there is a very clear image of the thief. The suspect caught on the home security video making off with about $15,000 in property, including electronics. But most upsetting is the theft of USB sticks and memory cards holding precious family photos. My wedding photos, birth of my children, um, milestone birthdays, uh, anniversaries, holidays. I'm hoping with that visual, he can be caught. Police say there were several other break-in enters in the neighborhood that day, and they believe the same suspect caught on this video is behind them all. It's been a record-setting year for search and rescues in this province with nearly 1,700 call-outs. And while thankfully success rates have been high, John Hua explains why the growing need is a major concern going forward. They go to extreme heights. Other times are forced down into treacherous places, all in an effort to save lives. I pretty much just thank them a lot for bringing me down. While the gratitude is appreciated, the grind is starting to wear on BC search and rescue teams. It is getting to that point where members are getting um, exhausted from the amount of calls. This rescue of an injured climber in Squamish, just the latest call that's leading towards another record year. 
It's the rush of standing on the edge of the world. The beauty of British Columbia's wilderness partly to blame, attracting an increasing number of people without the proper knowledge of how to stay safe. Social media is showing all these beautiful pictures of uh, all these peaks that we have locally, and that's drawing a lot of people out there. Mapping out the number of SAR incidents shows a steady incline. BC search and rescue teams responded to more than 1,300 incidents five years ago. In 2015-16, the number camps out at nearly 1,600. In 2016-17, the number of incidents climbs once again to more than 1,700. That's more than the rest of Canada combined. It can be discouraging, there's no question. We, we feel a frustration, I won't, I won't uh, dismiss that. The BC Search and Rescue Association pushing the provincial government to provide a model of stable funding. Also pleading with people heading out to be more prepared. There's a lot of um, strategy going on to, to try to deal with these calls um, as efficiently as possible. But strategy can only be stretched so far before this essential lifeline may finally break. John Hua, Global News. And the Coast Guard has a new emergency vessel in its fleet. The 13-meter-long boat can travel at 40 knots and is being touted as a valuable asset in search and rescue missions and other emergencies on the water. The vessel will run out of HMCS Discovery in Stanley Park while the Kitts Coast Guard base undergoes renovations. A nightmare scenario for dozens of buyers who thought they'd finally scored a home in Metro Vancouver's hot real estate market. They shelled out down payments for a new development in Langley and should have moved in last summer, but even though it's finished, they are still waiting. Jill Bennett has more on what's behind the delay. Jill? This young family was supposed to move into their new home more than a year ago. Instead, home is this living room, and they have no idea when that will change. March of 2016, we made a down payment on the development we bought. Since then, it's just been on and off. Uh, delay after delay. So the Lambs have been living with family, waiting as the move-in date keeps being pushed back. They say they started getting worried last winter. Problems in the delays in the building were just becoming a little bit more, um, I don't suspicious, I guess, because really how long does it take to do some landscaping? How long does it take to order a door? Like, so it kind of seemed like they were pushing it off on purpose. And they're not alone. The 92-unit building is sold out. The Fenegers, like every other purchaser, have their occupancy permit but can't move in. You know, there's a lot of rumors and hearsay about what's going on with it, whether it's all about financial, whether the building owner is suspect, but we wait and we wait. We've been told there are other people who have been homeless for a while having to stay with friends, and we've been renting an apartment actually in Langley for the past two years, so I'm paying for storage as well somewhere else. The developer, Newmark Life, also owed three years, about 300 grand in back taxes to the township of Langley, putting the township in a position of auctioning off the units. Just hours before the Thursday afternoon tax deadline, that was avoided when Newmark made a $21,000 payment. The company says it took the Murrayville project out of receivership from another developer. Developer, and we are now working hard to resolve the outstanding legal issues relating to the disagreements of the payout amounts between the lenders so we can hand over the units to the homeowners. If we knew it would be delayed by this long, we probably would have backed out of the deal so we could have bought um, another home. To make things even more complicated, a principal in the development company behind Murrayville House is scheduled to be in court Friday morning. He's facing extradition to the United States in relation to real estate fraud charges in that country. Back to you. Frustrating for those owners. All right, thanks, Jill.
In about a month from now, Vancouverites will be heading to the polls, voting in a by-election to fill the seat left vacant by former city councillor Jeff Meggs. But voter turnout is often low for these off-season political races. And as uh, Nadia Stewart reports, that's one of the biggest challenges candidates will face. While the city gears up for its latest political race. Did you know anything about the by-election? No, I don't. The electorate seems to be... No, I know nothing about it. ...largely unaware. Did you know there was a by-election? No, I didn't. No, I don't. Voter turnout actually increased in Vancouver's last election, up 10% in 2014 compared to 2011. But drawing a crowd for a by-election is always tough, even tougher in a city where housing and homelessness has left many skeptical of city leadership. Vision Vancouver's candidate says he hopes to change that. This election is going to be a huge contrast between what the MPA represents, the old Vancouver, and what we represent at Vision Vancouver, which is a new Vancouver for everyone that's affordable, that's green, and that's smart. With all respect to Diego, I find it very bizarre that the party that has been in government for nearly a decade is calling somebody else the old Vancouver. Both the NPA and Green say a new vision for housing and affordability are key. What affects people is, can they live in their community? My kids were born here. I'm worried about them being able to live here. So how do we address that? We've allowed unfettered uh, commodification. We've allowed commodification to run rampant through our local real estate industry, or our local real estate, and I think that's resulting in the kind of problems we see today. But for Gene Swanson, a longtime housing advocate and an independent candidate, it's going to take even more radical change. We want a political revolution. We want somebody that's going to tax the rich, that's going to call for a rent freeze, that's going to actually end homelessness. And who will eventually win this race remains to be seen. All candidates have until October 14th to make their case. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Richmond's biggest resident tries to stretch its wings, and some residents aren't happy about it. YVR International Airport wants to expand, applying to Transport Canada for a third runway. But that comes with some major restrictions on development, and mayor and council say it'll never fly in just over a minute. Irma on the move. We continue to track this monster storm. Reports of widespread damage in the Caribbean and the race to get out of its path in Florida. Still to come. And shocking video from the Toronto subway. A man dumps a bucket of water on the head of another passenger. What started it later on the news hour. In the meantime, a new battle is brewing tonight over the future of expansion of Vancouver International Airport. City of Richmond fighting back against YVR's long-term plans for a third runway. Aaron MacArthur joins us from YVR for more on this story tonight. Why is Richmond pushing back on this one, Aaron? Sophie Richmond says this is all about process. YVR has done an end around what the community wants. Bottom line, there is a lot of money at stake, especially if the airport gets what it wants. Richmond has always been hemmed in by the airport, building heights, carefully controlled to protect the landing corridors. The city has an official community plan to build a dense urban core in the Lansdowne area. But now YVR wants to scrub some of the height from those buildings. The city not happy about YVR's unilateral decision to go to Transport Canada. Where we find ourselves at odds is on the process. The city of Richmond says this kind of airspace zoning is directly opposed to its long-term community vision for a dense urban area. There are already buildings in the development process. 
and restricting their height could see two or three floors chopped off the top. Developers and the city stand to lose millions of dollars. If you're going to limit a landowner's ability to redevelop their land, to limit the heights and the densities that they're going to have on their property, then I think there has to be a period of consultation. YVR made the announcement about an expanded operation in January. It included plans for a new third runway south of the terminal. That runway is 30 years away and may never get built, but the airspace needs to be protected now. Malcolm Brody thinks the public will want a say in how their community is affected by more planes at the airport. And if you're going to introduce uh, a third runway uh, at some point in the future, then I think that there are noise and safety issues and you have to consult uh, with the residents about that. YVR got back to us this afternoon with a statement saying they are committed to community engagement, saying their application to Transport Canada will come with, quote, a robust public consultation period. Sophie, Chris? All right, we'll see what happens, Aaron. Thank you. A new digital telescope, the largest of its kind in Canada, began exploring outer space today from right here in B.C. It doesn't look like a conventional telescope, but these four half-pipe type uh, structures in the Okanagan will collect radio waves created billions of years ago in billions of distant galaxies and then analyze the data with a custom-built supercomputer. Scientists will attempt to make the largest 3D map of the universe ever created and try to gain a greater understanding of a 1990s discovery called dark energy. It doesn't work like everything else that we're familiar with. It doesn't work like matter or like light or any of the, the sort of standard components that make up our model of physics, our model of how the universe works. It's, it's different from the rest of it. It seems to play with gravity in a strange way. The new telescope is at the Dominion Radio Astrophysical Observatory near Okanagan Falls. It cost $11 million to build it. Fascinating stuff. Seems like a bargain at 11 million. Right, it does. The smoke is doing more than just blocking out the sun. It just doesn't feel good, especially when it goes on for this long. Why all that haze might leave you in a daze, still to come. Plus, the most vulnerable wildfire victims and how you can help them. BC's record-breaking forest fire season has created a major challenge for animal rescuers across the province. As Neetu Garcha reports, the Victoria Humane Society has been inundated with displaced pets and is now trying to find homes for all of them. These kittens among dozens flooding into the Victoria Humane Society. Last weekend alone, in a 24-hour period, we took in 31 animals. The weekend before, we took in 19, so it's been really crazy. Cats, dogs, and puppies from all over B.C. They literally lost their homes in the wildfires. These are all animals who people have surrendered because they're no longer able to care for them because either they've lost their homes or they're going to have to move and they don't feel they can take their animals with them. This is not an easy choice for a lot of people. A lot of people love their animals dearly but they have nothing left. The pets are transferred from a rescue society based in Quinell. Stone says upwards of 400 animals are being housed in a local arena. Those that are surrendered by the owners are handed off to the Victoria Humane Society, which is also providing about $12,000 worth of emergency medical care. Stone says they've taken in about 70 animals displaced by wildfires in the last 10 weeks. But the society doesn't have a shelter, so all those animals need a temporary home like this one until they're adopted. 
dropped it. There's nothing like the phone call saying, I'm coming with 31 animals. Um, what can I drop off at your house? It's sad, but at the same time, it kind of feels good to be able to do that. And because this influx may just be the calm before the storm. I would not be surprised if we don't see about 200 more simply because what happens is once the fires are over and people are called to come pick up their animals, that's when they realize they're not able to care for them anymore. This family is urging others to also answer the desperate call for adoptions and foster homes. Now's the time to step up if you ever wanted to try it and just give it a shot, see what it's like. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Victoria. Oh, did you hear the purring? So cute. <laughs> so cute. Well, we go from that to utter devastation in the wake of Irma. As it stands now that Barbuda is barely habitable. Residents worry the damage in the Caribbean a sign of what's to come to Florida. And what led up to this shocking attack on the Toronto subway? It's images like this throughout the Caribbean, from Barbuda to Puerto Rico, where Hurricane Irma has already done her damage, that has tens of thousands of Floridians under evacuation order. At least 13 people have been killed by Irma so far. And Irma still ranked as a Category 5 storm with winds of up to 280 kilometers an hour. Yeah, it's now officially the longest-lived storm ever with winds that strong over the past two days. The message for Floridians is simple. Get out while you can. Tonight, Florida's largest mass evacuation in 12 years is underway. Miami Beach boarded up. Nearly 700,000 people urged to head inland. A traffic nightmare as Irma creeps closer. This is devastating. It's scary. And people get crazy. After more than 30,000 people bolted from the Florida Keys, there's a desperate need for gas. Police escorting fuel supply trucks. More than a quarter of the stations in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and Naples are dry. Everything is shut down. Amid fears of widespread flooding and catastrophic storm surge on both coasts, in Fort Myers, search and rescue teams are already gearing up. This is serious, and we cannot take chances. It is life-threatening. This is not a storm you can sit and wait through. Millions under a state of emergency up the East Coast, Florida, Georgia, and the Carolinas. 25 years ago, another deadly Category 5 hurricane, Andrews, sliced through Florida. But Irma's nearly twice as big as that storm and wider than the entire state of Florida, making it harder for evacuees to escape the storm's path. Given the storm's forecast, where can people go to escape this They storm? need to go to one of our shelters, and they need to go quick. And matter of fact, that's the place to go. Miami's Metro Zoo, rebuilt after Andrew leveled it, is now bracing for another devastating blow. And across South Florida, families and their pets are streaming to newly opened shelters. Oh, it's frightening. Extremely frightening. Morgan Chesney's Gonzalez and her family are spending their first night away from home. We didn't really want to take any chances because I have children. And so we decided then that, you know, before the rush of everybody trying to make a mass exodus, then we would try and get ahead. Ahead of the frantic rush to outrun Irma before it's too late. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News, Miami. Now, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on the power and the track that Irma's going to take over the next couple of days, Christy. 
Thanks, Chris. Yes, this is definitely one for the record books. The concern tonight is really Turks and Caicos with winds up to 280 kilometers an hour expected. But it's really the storm surge we're concerned about because the majority of the deaths in these types of storms is due to drowning. So a storm surge of six meters, that's nearly two stories of a building. Now, tomorrow, it weakens slightly to a category four. The winds will be a little bit less, but the storm surge equally as high in areas like South Bahamas. Then this weekend, it heads towards Florida. Florida, weaker still, but still a powerful Category 4. All right, we'll keep an eye on it. Thanks very much, Christy. Police are investigating a disturbing confrontation on a Toronto subway platform. A man throws a cleaning bucket full of water and soap on a woman after she apparently flicked some kind of clear liquid at him. Police are investigating it as assault with a weapon. Ironically, the video surfaced on the very same day that Toronto transit officials launched an anti-harassment campaign, campaign make that, including a new app to report non-emergency incidents. Another big breach in cybersecurity has compromised the personal information of more than 100 million people, including some Canadians. I deeply regret this incident, and I apologize to every affected consumer and all of our partners. The chairman and CEO of the credit monitoring company Equifax apologizing in a video statement for the breach that exposed the names, addresses, social security numbers and credit card numbers of about 143 million customers. Equifax says hackers also access some personal information from residents of Canada and the UK. The company says it has taken immediate action to block any further breaches and is working with investigators to determine its next steps. The ongoing controversy over Russia and its possible involvement in the U.S. election campaign was front and center again today. Donald Trump Jr. appeared before Senate investigators answering some tough questions about that now notorious secret meeting with a Russian attorney. Tinted windows blocked the view of Donald Trump Jr. inside this car after he avoided cameras at the Capitol. For five hours today, behind closed doors, the president's son meeting with Senate investigators looking into Russia's interference with the 2016 election. According to a statement obtained by NBC News, Trump Jr. said he took a June 2016 meeting with a Russian lawyer and others because he thought he'd get dirt on Hillary Clinton. Quote, to the extent they had information concerning the fitness, character or qualifications of a presidential candidate, I believed I should at least hear them out. Opposition research is not unusual, but getting it from foreign entities is. His appearance today raised as many questions as it answered. In a statement late today, Trump Jr. says he answered every question until both sides had exhausted their lines of questioning. I trust this interview fully satisfied their inquiry. It's more D.C. drama after a day packed with it. Republicans reeling from the president's stunning decision to side with Democrats on a plan to pay for hurricane relief, raise the debt ceiling, and keep the government open for three months. Exactly the terms Democrats like Nancy Pelosi had wanted. I think we will have a different relationship than you've been watching over the last number of years. As if to punctuate that point. After canceling the program protecting undocumented young people brought to this country by their parents, President Trump today tweeted reassurance to those dreamers at Pelosi's request. I was reporting to my colleagues. I said, this is what I asked the president to do. And boom, 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 the tweet appeared. So that was good. 
In Health Matters tonight, if you're feeling a little down about the smoky haze that stubbornly hangs over Metro Vancouver, you have good reason to be. As Linda Aylesworth reports, there are both physical and psychological reasons for it. Has the thick, lingering wildfire haze got you feeling out of sorts? It's a little bit depressing. Kind of a little down, a little depressed. It brings me down for sure. It brings you down because of the grayness. The grayness might play a role, but there's more to the connection between air pollution and depression, lethargy and general feelings of yuckiness. We're just beginning to understand how much of that is biology, how does that happen biologically, what mechanisms, but it is happening and it's real. There's increasing interest in the study of how air pollution affects our mental well-being. Because while we have endured 19 record-breaking days of air quality advisories in Metro Vancouver so far in 2017, other cities in the world struggle with thick haze and high particulate matter much of the year. For sure there's a lot of interest because mental health um, obviously takes a huge toll on the population and this is something that can affect anyone. When you breathe particulate matter, it goes into your bloodstream and can trigger an immune response. Like if you caught a cold, that can wear you down and it doesn't stop there. Some of these particles are small enough that they can actually get into the brain. They can lead to what's called neuroinflammation or inflammation in the brain. Uh, The evidence is really mounting for that. Some studies are showing this can affect not just mood, but cognitive abilities. Then there's the way heavy haze obscures our ability to see our surroundings, even the color of distant trees in the sky. Green, for example, and blue are positive colors that are associated across a range of positive health effects. Not being able to see those could decrease our mood, make us feel worse. The solution, both complicated and inconvenient, solve the problem of climate change, thus reducing the number of wildfires or spend more time indoors. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. It's just like stepping onto the field. The BC Lions are the first to embrace new VR technology, bringing fans right into the huddle. And history repeats itself as the future king arrives for his first day of school. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Pretty cool stuff how virtual reality puts you on the field during a BC Lions game right after the forecast. You can suit up for them. It's going to be fun. It's gonna be, you won't need a helmet. But it'll, it'll be just like you're down there. Very cool. All right, let's check in with meteorologist uh, Christy Gordon. We talked about all that smoke being somewhat depressing, affecting our moods, Christy. Uh, but it hopefully will clear away in the next few days. Yes, we're definitely going to see a clearing. It's just be a gradual clearing. We were hoping for a little bit of a clearing today, but as you can see, the scene out there, just dreary. So uh, the reason for that is we just didn't see enough movement, enough wind in the atmosphere to help clear it out. And we were hoping for a little bit of moisture today, but that front has stalled over Vancouver Island. And I'll show you that in, in a second. But I also wanted to show you the temperatures. So uh, earlier this week, we were hitting 30 degrees and record-breaking temperatures, and we've cooled off a little bit more comfortable, but we're still well above average. 23 was our high, average 19. The feels like today at 23 was 28. There is a ton of humidity out there, and I know you can feel it. It is a muggy. Well, that's going to change as well. This is what we're talking about. So this is the change that's going to slowly shift across our region over the next 24 hours. Not a ton of moisture in it, but it'll hopefully stir the uh, smoke up a little bit and clear out that humidity and that smoke. Uh, A little 
little bit of moisture in through the central interior, but this is quite weak. It won't be until Saturday that we'll see the majority of the moisture pushing across our region. So this is tomorrow. That front will shift into the southeast, so mostly dry across the north. Areas like Prince George and Quinell, you do have a chance of showers, but more so we're talking about isolated thunderstorms. And that will continue right across the south, all the way southeast towards Castle Gar. Cranbrook missing it, Golden missing it. So pockets of showers, uh, not a ton of moisture and a risk of thunderstorms. We'll see a little gusty winds as well. Majority of the moisture for your area will push in on Saturday. That's when we're hoping for a bit of relief for the fires, and we'll see that potentially on Sunday as well. Meanwhile, the South Coast region, I've put a lot of drops in these icons, but it really is only a slight chance for tomorrow. Majority of our moisture will also happen on Saturday. Those of you across the east coast of Vancouver Island, you may see some breaks in the clouds later tomorrow. So majority of the moisture sort of Friday night through our Saturday, much cooler as well with a high of only 19. Sunday looks dry, but mainly cloudy. And we've got a bit of sunshine into early next week. But that's when we'll finally see a little bit of a reprieve from all of the smoke. Happy birthday to Sylvia Volk. She turned 103. And Billy Mitchell, also a female, by the way, turned 102. And Joyce and Ellen Clapp celebrating 71 years together. And our weather window breaking out of the smoke, heading up in through northwestern BC to Stewart. Allison took this shot. Her family was hiking near Salmon Glacier. That is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you, Christy. Great work, Allison. All right, a major coup for the BC Lions today as the team becomes the first professional team in North America to offer fans a rare virtual reality experience. A new app will use 360-degree video technology to put fans right in the middle of the action via virtual and augmented reality. They'll be able to follow the team from the locker room to the field and back again. People are probably thinking, why isn't this something that the NBA has launched or the NFL has launched or the NHL? Well, you know what? It's launched right here in Vancouver, and I go to the fact that British Columbia is a leader in this type of technology. <laughs> well, the Lions say the app will use cloud technology and will work whether fans are in the stands during a game or at home or on the other side of the world entirely. It will also work on a cell phone by itself without a VR headset. Players sure seem to like it. If you go <laughs> through that video, yeah, it was really good. It's on BC Live. They do a lot of good stuff they with do. multimedia, don't mm-hmm. they? Yeah, I, I must say, playing football virtual would be the way to go. That's yeah. Those guys hit hard. Low, I think it's low best impact. To be, yeah, best to be on the other side. <laughs> Barry in for uh, Squire, of course, and... Uh, Lots of things you're working on. Yeah, we're going to talk uh, a bit of hockey. A few things wrong with the Canucks, as we know, a lot of things to fix, and that power play is one of them. The Canucks are hoping some of their new players can help revive their anemic power play. That's part of my role. It's something I uh, I put pressure on myself to do. Sam Gagne will be one of the many new power players in the Canuck lineup this season. And the ABC's royalty, Prince George, heads off to his first day of school. That's later. Well, summer's not quite over yet. No. Even though you were talking about but, uh, it. No, before. that's true, but it, but it is a major changing of the seasons with NFL starting tonight, mm-hmm. which is big. I know it's not what you're starting that. We're going to get to that momentarily, but yeah. we're going to start uh, with Canucks. It's hard to believe the NHL season fast approaching. The Canucks rookies start the Young Stars tournament in Penticton tomorrow night, and then the Canucks main camp begins next week. The Canucks have many areas where they must improve, but one area that has been a real sore spot for the last few years has been the power play, but with a new coaching staff and new players coming in, it's a perfect time to make some changes for the better. 34 seconds to go, the man advantage, Daniel, and Burke scores! Burke! 
Now, if that's what the Canucks' power play looks like this year, Vancouver could be much more competitive than the consensus predictions that they will finish at or near the bottom. But the Canucks' power play was a rally killer last year. Ranked 29th in the league, it was a tired, predictable display that had fans groaning. But they have brought in some free agents who are power play specialists. Thomas Vanek has 129 career power play goals. Sam Gagne had 18 of his 50 points with Columbus last season on the power play. That's part of my role. It's something I uh, I put pressure on myself to do. Um, you know, I, I feel like uh, I'm at my best when I'm creating offense and you know creating opportunities for other guys to score. So. Um, you know, definitely an area that uh, I want to help out in. During this rebuild, it's important the Canucks pass the torch to the future leaders of the team. Ben Hutton feels he's ready to step into a more regular role on the power play as he enters his third season. It's been a big offseason for me, really working on my shot and my first three steps, and uh, I just want to come in and uh, you know, show, show a new staff and coaches that uh, I can play. Henrik Sedin has run the first unit power play for a decade, it was ranked number one back in the cup run years, but it has fallen on hard times. There's plenty of room for improvement, but one area in particular. The, the front nut guy is, is I, I think, going to be more static maybe, where you have a guy there at all times, so when pucks get there, uh, it's going to create chances for us. And that may be something we've been missing the last, last couple years. The Lions are hoping their bye week will give them the reset they need to get their season back on track. BC was 4-1 and one at one point this year. Now they're 5-5 five and five and last in the West. But there's plenty of time to get back into a playoff spot and start playing winning football again. Those three games, three losses in a row, it happens pretty fast. Um, and, you, and you reeling a little bit and going, boy, we got to do this. You know, what do we got to do? And kind of bye week, take a deep breath. Uh, let's say you know let's look at the reasons maybe we, we didn't get wins in the last few weeks and find things to correct and you know and uh you, you make a few little tweaks and changes but we believe in our process uh, we believe in our guys um it's just a matter of going out and doing it it's just us winning you know as long as we win everything take care of itself in the next three or four weeks due to teams having one or two losses and some with three the numbers has to change so we handle our business this next for the month of september we'll be having a different conversation next after this talk, we to work for it. Tom Brady and the Patriots are favored to win the Super Bowl yet again this year. They had that epic comeback last year against Atlanta to give Brady five Super Bowls, the most of any quarterback in NFL history. Tonight, the push for number six begins as the Patriots kicked off the NFL season at home to Kansas City. Patriots superfan Mark Wahlberg and seeing the opening ceremony. I think he's referred to Brady a few times in his movies, uh, unveiling that fifth Super Bowl championship banner. And, of course, a big crowd looking for more excitement this year. An opening drive, Brady, 19 yards to Brandon Cooks coming over from the Saints. Another weapon for Brady. And then uh, Mike Gillisley will cap 12-play, 73-yard drive in under three minutes just to start the season. Patriots making it look easy, 7-0. Then after a KC fumble, Brady to Gronk. Rob Gronkowski for... The touchdown, but after further review, that ball, oh, it hit the ground. I got Gronk in the in the fantasy pool. That's bad news. No catch. Pats would then be stopped on fourth and inches. KC comes back. Alex Smith to Demetrius Harris. So in what could have been a blowout, KC keeping it close. They're down 10-7 in the second. U.S. Open. All four women's semifinalists are Americans, including 37-year-old Venus Williams taking on 24-year-old Sloane Stevens. All Stevens in the first set. 
big forehand winner there. 6-1 in just 25 minutes, but then it's the reverse in the second set. It was all Venus who uses that large wingspan to get the near-impossible volley at the net. She bagels Stevens' six love, but in the third, it was a slugfest. Venus up 5-4 on serve, but Stevens really showing off her athleticism. Look at that passing shot there. Stays on serve, and then next game... Might be the point of the match here. How did she get to that? Stays in the point. And then will eventually chase it down and beat Venus with a perfect lob that bit the baseline, goes up 6-5. So she serves for the match. And a bit of a changeup on the second serve. Kind of fooled Venus and Sloan Stevens into her first Grand Slam final. Three sets over Venus Williams. Coco Vandeweghe and Madison Keys are playing the other semi right about now. The winner... Of course, we'll play Sloan Stevens. Well, good stuff. I've got Kansas City defense in the oh, fantasy draft, by the way. So I was I've got okay the with Patriots defense. Yeah, it's, back it's, a, it's a battle. It's a battle. We shouldn't be talking. <laughs> we should. Yeah, we shouldn't. That's why I'm in the middle. <laughs> keep us apart. <laughs> yeah, keep us apart. Let me add him. All right, let's check in with Andrew now for a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Anne, thanks, Sophie. And we are down at Nat Bailey Stadium, where the Vancouver Canadians are taking on Spokane in Game Two of the Northwest Division playoffs. So they are riding high after a home game win last night and are hoping to pull off a repeat. And while millions flee the wrath of Hurricane Irma, one Vancouver man is heading into the storm. We will talk to him just before he takes off for his charitable mission in Florida to find out what's inspiring him to help. We will have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. All right. Thanks, Anne. And when we come back, first day at school for the future king, and he didn't have to pack a lunchbox. That's for sure. Coming up on ET Canada, they have announced the new bachelor, but really, who is this guy? And Rose Lovers are not happy. Plus, we'll get you ready for season three of Outlander and TIFF. 2017 kicks off with the talented and beautiful Priyanka Chopra. That is coming up at seven, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. Ross is like 24. He's like 20. What's with the gray beard? I don't get it. Gray, silly. I like the the beard thing is big. Well, I'm three times as old as him, so I shouldn't (laughs) be gray. You don't look like (laughs) him at all. All right, he might be the future king of England, but he still has to learn his ABCs. Prince George's first day of school was a little different than it is for millions of other children watched by people from around the world. Kelly Cobiea reports. Even a future king has school day nerves. Mom Kate, pregnant with baby number three, was home with severe morning sickness. So four-year-old George held on tight to dad, Prince William. A backpack with the prince's official school name, George Cambridge. Our aim for him, as well as, as for all of our pupils, is to provide a, a safe and secure uh, and a happy environment where he feels supported by a, a kind and a loving community. Um, and I think that's um, something that we're going to be trying to achieve for him. There won't be any special treatment at all. His grandfather, Prince Charles, started the tradition at school outside of the palace. 30 years ago, it was William's turn, hand in hand with Diana. Now George, and a new tradition, a private co-ed school. Ballet for girls and boys philosophy for five-year-olds. The fees are around $20,000 a year, and they do, you know, rack of lamb and not your average mac and cheese. Prince William said the day went well. Just a happy father and son and a princely after-school portrait. Kelly Cobiella, NBC News, London. 
you could. I don't know. Mac and cheese would have been jam. preferred, I think. But yeah, okay. maybe. Yeah. Rack of lamb. <laughs> I've been corrected. Apparently, oh, yeah. Roz Weston, Roz Weston of uh, Entertainment Tonight Canada is 43 years old. He's going to still twice as old. Someone's going to email him or message him or whatever you do these days. And-